uplifting. I hope it's well with your soul tonight. Let's turn tonight to the epistle of Paul to the church at Philippi, Philippians, otherwise known as. Love to preach in this epistle, have for a long, long time, and uh, we pray the Lord will bless tonight's message to our hearts. Tasha shared a prayer request with me. She has a friend named Carl who... Uh, who has been raised in the Catholic traditions, and uh, as was I, and uh, she's been inviting him to church, and uh, she said, I don't know what else I can do. I said, well, you can pray for him and continue to invite him as opportunity presents itself, but uh, what a good testimony, and uh, perhaps others of you have invited some to church that you're concerned about their soul. I trust you have. But I'm glad Tasha is, and I hope she's not the only one. And so that's a good thing, and what a good example that is for us uh, to consider and ponder. And we're thankful that you're doing that, and pray we all would find time to speak of Christ to someone. Uh, A week is a long time, seven days. We can cram a lot into seven days, uh, 40 hours of work, and uh, however many hours you sleep. 55 hours of sleep, maybe. That's a lot of sleep in it. More sleep than you work. Wow. Some people, anyway. And a lot of entertainment time. But uh, it only takes a few minutes to talk to someone about their soul. And so let us think about that. Let us be mindful of those important eternal things. So let us uh, open with a word of prayer. And we'll remember this request and I hope you'll remember it this week I'll try to remember myself to get I want to talk a little bit about humility tonight from Philippians chapter 2 we preached from particularly verses 5 through 8 on a number of occasions you hear me quote those verses fairly frequently they're uh, they seem to come up and be relevant many times But tonight I'd like to consider it in the greater context of the chapter, chapter 2. And uh, we always find it interesting, don't we, when we look at a larger context. And so I hope you'll look at this. I couldn't help as I was beginning to muse this afternoon on this topic of humility uh, about something that the Lord Jesus we just recently read in our studying through and preached about in Matthew chapter 11, toward the end of that chapter, you remember the Lord says, Take up my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And so it's interesting, we could preach from that verse. There's a lot of preaching in there. But we understand that there's something that we have to do. We've got to take up his yoke. It's not our yoke, it's his. And we have to take it upon ourselves. I was talking to one today at lunch, and, and he mentioned how we often like to point out the sins of other people and the needs of what other people need to do, but it's much more profitable for us to quietly contemplate our own needs spiritually. And I thought that was a point of good wisdom, which is borne out in the scriptures. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's important for you to take up and for me to take up his yoke. And only then can we really learn of him. Now, we can learn about him through the scriptures, but experientially we must take up his yoke and then thereby learn of him. And we'll learn about that meek and lowliness. If we are in his yoke, uh, you're not going to bear that yoke in pride and condescension. It's a... humble yoke to be sure but he says you will find there rest for your souls that's something we look for and we strive for and we yearn for but seldom can find in this restless world so that's a good introductory text Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29 take my yoke Philippians 2 is where we want to go this morning this evening however and A lesson on a lowly heart. 
lowly heart state of mind. Do you have a lowly heart state of mind? You may remember some years ago I preached through the entire epistle of Philippians, and I entitled that short series, uh, A Beautiful Mind. Because the word mind and mind, like-minded and so on, the derivatives of the word mind are found, I don't remember how many times, a dozen times through this short epistle. And so that's a key thought is it's all about what happens up here. It's about mindset. It's about adopting a different mindset. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ. And so a change of mind, a mindset, uh, a so that, I don't want to elaborate on that too much. I spend a lot of time just talking about a mindset and how important it is. That's where a lot of the battles are fought are in your mind, in my mind. It's a battle of wills. It's a battle of submission. It's a battle of want to. Of battles that go on between our ears and the outcome is determined by what happens up there. Out of sight, out of mind oftentimes. And so having... Uh, a Christ-like mindset is of utmost importance for any true disciple to be following the Lord Jesus. And so this state of mind, and so this uh, whole chapter is about that uh, concept. It is about a Christ-like state of mind. There are different types of minds that are in here, contented minds, uh, confident minds, committed minds, all of which we've preached about in the past. And it's all good material and good applications here, but we want to focus on this one thing, uh, the, a mind of humility, a lowly-hearted mindset. And so focus with me on that. My introduction in my study Bible, the Schofield Study Bible, uh, the heading on the top of this chapter is this, Christ, the believer's pattern. Christ the believer's pattern, rejoicing in lowly service. Rejoicing in lowly service. And so that's what we want to look at. That's a good title for this chapter. And so we're going to break it down into four sections. I don't know if we'll get through it tonight. We're going to earnestly try to do that, and uh, we'll move along. Well, as the Spirit leads, that's how we'll move along. But verses 1 through 4 begins with Paul's exhortation. Paul has an exhortation. He begins this thought of let this mind be in you with an exhortation. And the exhortation is based upon what Christ's lowly mind has provided for you as a believer. And he uses that as an exhortation. He wants us to think about the, the blessings that we enjoy from Jesus Christ come directly because he came to this earth with a lowly mind. He was meek and lowly. He came to love you. And brothers and sisters, doesn't it feel good to be loved by the Lord Jesus Christ? As unworthy as you are and I am of his love, it feels nothing feels better than to know that Jesus Christ has bathed you, has covered you, has surrounded you, and provided for you an unrelenting love that will go on for all eternity. And you can't lose His love. It never ends. That's a good feeling. And therein we have to find a lot of comfort. To wit, the song, It is well with my soul. It's well with your soul because Jesus Christ came with a lowly mind. And we'll look at that. But he did that because he loved you and he came to die for you. He came to be the servant of humanity and all of those things that we read. And so that's the opening argument. That's number one, verses one through four. He begins with an exhortation reminding us of what we enjoy every day. I hope you do. Because Jesus Christ loved you and he loved you out of a lowly mind. And the benefits that accrue to us come out of that mindset that is our Savior's when he walked this earth. The second heading, verses 5 through 8, we have the example of Christ. And those are verses that you're very familiar with and that I quote very, very often. But then he left us an example. And I'll tell you, there is no better leader to follow than one who leads by example. And Jesus Christ does not call upon us to do what he wasn't willing to do. 
and he did it far better and, and to the uh, far greater degree than you or I ever will. He took it much further, much broader, much deeper. But he stands as our prime example of a lowly mind in serving him. And so that's verses 5 through 8. And it includes verses 9 through 11 where we have the delayed gratification for that service, that humble state of mind. The third heading that we have is then he turns to us and he says, because of these things, work out your own salvation. And so he turns to us, now what are you going to do with what we've just talked about? What mindset are you going to adopt? What are you going to do with what I've just charged you with and shared with you about uh, the things that we enjoy every day and the example that Christ gave us? Now it's up to you to work out your own salvation after that same pattern in your life when we get to that. And then finally, in the last heading, 17 through 30, he gives us a handful of real-life examples of men who were willing to adopt this very mindset. And what strikes, out, strikes me is that there's only three. Only three. How come? Well, because of verse 21. Or verse 20 and 21. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. But there's a, there's a very small handful. Most others are looking out for other things. And that hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. Maybe a message tonight will help us with that change. That is my prayer. And so let's, let's read the chapter. And then, well, let's read through, uh, let's read through, verse 16 to begin with. We'll see if we can get that far. So the first heading is 1 through 4. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to read 1 through 4, and I'll preach on that, and then we'll go on from there. If, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, that is his love, any fellowship, any sharing of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, if there's any bowels and mercies, in other words, if, if you've experienced any of Christ's tender mercies, tender-hearted mercies, and fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, that is the love that Jesus Christ has shown to you and given to you and poured out upon you and shed abroad in your heart. Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And that is, of course, the mind of Christ in these things. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Now you chew on that for a minute. Let each esteem others better than yourself. Now we could stop right there and say, let's, let's, let's spend uh, six months working on that. <laughs> you think about that. Uh, you, know, I, you know, that's a humorous, but really. Really? How many of us do that much of the time? But he said, who, does, who is he talking to, the preacher here? Let me see. Let each. That sounds like the whole church, Jim. Let each. Each Christian brother or sister, let, let each of us esteem the other, others, all the others, Better than ourselves. That's a lowly state of mind. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've already accomplished that. <laughs> Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man, that's generic, man, woman, can't escape because of your gender tonight, let every one of us not be busy looking on our own things, our own interests, 
exclusively, but every one of us, every man also on the things of others, the interests of others. And so he's covered two points there, hasn't he? But he begins with reminding us of what we enjoy every day because this was Christ's attitude, his mindset toward us. So let's think about what he said. As he begins his exhortation, he says, think about what you enjoy every day. The consolation that is the encouragement of the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole, one of the big reasons for forming his church was a source of encouragement, wasn't it? That we would show one another love and encouragement when we assemble together. We have the encouragement of his word. I shall never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, you know, put, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness and all these other needaments will be added unto you. That his word is full of encouragement that comes from him. Amen. I'm coming back. Don't worry about it. I'm coming back. If I go away, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you will be. Amen. What a great encouragement that was to OPI down there at Springwood Nursing Home. Just a few months before he died, every time I met down there with him, he would talk about that. We'd say, we would sing, count your blessings, and I'd say, who's got a blessing they want to count? The OPI would say, I, I, my blessing is that when, as soon as I, I close my eyes in death, as soon as I open, I'll be there. Amen. He's prepared a place for me. It's already waiting for me. You see, he was being encouraged. He was in a miserable hole of a place. And he had a miserable life at that stage of life. And there wasn't anything he could do. He used to be a pilot and a lot of things that, you know, manly things he enjoyed doing. He was an active man. But he was reduced as all flesh will be reduced. So he couldn't do a thing. But he was encouraged by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you had any encouragement from the Lord Jesus Christ? I trust you have if you know him. Amen. If you know his word. He's got a lot of encouragement to give to his followers, doesn't he? And so that's part of his argument. If there's any consolation in Christ, that's kind of a tongue-in-cheek question, isn't it? Why, certainly there's a lot of encouragement in Christ. There's all you want. There's more than you can carry home in a wheelbarrow. But he uses that as his, 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 his exhortation to us. If there's any comfort in his love. <laughs> Most of us are pretty unlovable. I, I, I speak for myself, certainly. And so it's a miracle, a miracle of love and grace. There's a song that Bunny liked, used to like to sing. I've heard her sing it some. It took a miracle to hang the stars in space. But it took a miracle of love and grace to save this sinner. Oh, the comfort of knowing that Jesus Christ loves you. And he went to the great lengths that he did to die for you, to make sure that your sins could be forgiven and that you would be welcomed, not as a lost and rebellious sinner, but as a child of God, Amen. into the very presence of God the Father, and embraced like that prodigal was in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, where the Father ran to him and hugged him and kissed him and kissed him. That, brothers and sisters, is a picture of the love of God that is yours in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you find any comfort in that? I tell you, sometimes you go a long way and walk a many a mile without seeing the slightest sign of love in this rat race of the human condition that's getting worse and worse. Just as Jesus Christ predicted it, the love of many will wax worse because of the increase of evil. Are we seeing that? Well, yes, we are. We're seeing it because it's true, because Jesus said it would happen. And oh, in all of this that we're surrounded with, and it's going to wax worse and worse. How precious is the love of Jesus Christ to us. And how important it is for we to have that mindset. To be lovers of the unlovable just as he has been a, lovers, a lover of you. And so, any comfort in love? How about the sharing, the participation of the Holy Spirit? 
Mark has been talking about that. What's the Holy Spirit called? Why did Jesus send it? Because he was going away, remember, in John's gospel. I'm going away, but don't worry. I'm going to send you another comforter. One called alongside to walk with you in the way. That still small voice saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. He's not left us alone. He's left us with the Holy Spirit. If we're saved and saved indeed, if you have not that Spirit in you, then you are none of His because He gives it to every blood-bought believer. And that's a great comfort. The participation, the sharing of His divine Spirit. Wow. Have you found any comfort from the presence of the Holy Spirit? I find it every time I stand here in this place. This is a dreadful place. It would be good for every one of you to stand in this place sometime, one time. And I tell you, I think always when I talk about that, I think about my dear pastor friend, Troy Shepherd. He said, I love to preach. I hate to try. <laughs> and when I prayed tonight, I said, Lord, please don't leave me trying to preach tonight. Please give me your Holy Spirit because I hate to try. I love to preach your word. It's a privilege to preach your word, but I can't do it. Amen. Must have the Holy Spirit. And that is a fact. What's that worth? What's it worth to you to know that you have the Holy Spirit within you? Directing you when we listen to Him. When we don't shut Him out. When we don't make our life too noisy. Where we're too, too preoccupied with material, transitory things. To even hear that still small voice. Shame on us. We quench the Spirit because we do not follow His lead. But we have it. And what's that worth? If you had any affection or sympathy, he ends, from the Lord Jesus. Oh, how sympathetic he is. He knows our downsettings, our uprisings. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us about the throne of grace, making it wide open through the rending of his flesh. And he welcomes us to come. Don't hold anything back. You can tell me anything because I already know. So don't be bashful, don't be afraid, don't cower, don't be afraid to open up about that sin that you are wrestling with, about that guilt that you're feeling. Whatever it might be, don't hold anything back because you have my sympathy. It, just before that in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Our great high priest is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. Oh, praise God for that, John. That we have a Savior that is sensitive to our infirmities. He's not like some parents standing there with a, a belt to give you a whipping whether you need it or not because you did something displeasing to him. And he's not going to chastise you. He's going to punish you like a lot of parents do. There are some that receive that kind of upbringing. The father is supposed to demonstrate the love of God to his children so they understand that that kind of paternal love, that pure love, and that kind of love never punishes. It chastens the motive. I remember Brother Pierce preaching about that a long time ago, the difference between chastisement and punishment. A lot of parents know only punishment. Not the Lord Jesus. So, that's a pretty good opening argument that he's given us to encourage us to want to be like that, to, to want to be sympathetic to other people's infirmities, to their weaknesses, to their sin issues that they're wrestling with, to try to help them and not walk all over them or condemn them. Another conversation I had today about what, what Jesus meant when he, when he said, judge not that you be not judged. We remember, you may remember we covered that when we went through that portion of Matthew. It's not ours to... We're not the judge, and so we don't give the sentence. We don't condemn judicially. That's, we leave that to God, and I thank God we do because he sees the heart. We can't see the heart. He said, you know, vengeance is mine. I'll take care of it. You just do what I tell you to do. And he, so he makes it easy, doesn't he? We don't have to worry about judgment. We want to worry about it sometimes, but we don't have to. All right, so verse 3, 
Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. We should just park there and say amen. Let's chew on that. Let's repeat it. Let's everyone repeat it 50 times. And then we'll write it in our notepads 50 more times. And then we'll put it on a recorder and we'll go to sleep listening to let everyone esteem other better than themselves. And maybe subliminally it'll get in there and become part of who we are. And that was only step one. But we've got to start somewhere. Wow. Let this mind be in you. And so let's go to five through eight. Verse 4, before we get to verse 5, let not every man look on his own things, but every man on the things of others also. I'll tell you, we crowd our life with so much about our own interests, our own things. We don't have room for anybody else. We don't have time for anybody else. And that's a big problem. And that's the one he gets to in verse 21 when we get down there. And for fear that we won't ever get there tonight, look at verse 21. Why is there only a handful of people that are like-minded? that Paul can list at the end of this chapter. Verse 21, in verse 20 and 21, I have no man like-minded, Paul laments, who will naturally care for your state. See, their state. Most people are too busy with their own state to worry about your state. Paul says, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all, and this is the reason, verse 21, for all seek their own not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Boy, that sums up a big problem with Christianity today. There's nobody like-minded. Oh, one here or there, just like in Paul. You know, he, he, he named three. He gave his own example. And Timothy. And Epaphroditus. who worked himself nearly to death for others. And the Bible says so in this chapter. Moving along, verses 5 through 8, we have, of course, Christ's example here now. So he goes from the exhortation about our own experience. Now he goes to Christ's example. And notice with me in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So notice, first of all, they didn't say try to do this. Do it if you can. Give it a good go. He said, let this mind be in you. We already have the Holy Spirit, so that's a good start. We couldn't do it without the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't want to do it. The Holy Spirit is willing. But there's another part of us that's not willing. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Not weak, weak only in the sense of spiritual things. It has no taste for spiritual things. Haven't you found that out? But it's strong. I tell you, your flesh is strong when it comes to wrestling with the Spirit of God. Can you imagine? You know, it ought to scare us to death to think about our flesh when it's possible for you to resist the Holy Spirit. And isn't that what Stephen said? You do always resist the Spirit of God. Wow, that's, it should be impossible. It should be impossible to resist the Holy Spirit. But those Jewish unbelievers were doing that. How about quenching the Holy Spirit? The Bible admonishes us, quench not the Spirit. Well, I'll tell you, the flesh is weak when it comes to spiritual things, but it's strong. It's a powerful force. It's a powerful force against us. As we read from Galatians chapter 5, I think it was, uh, the other night well let us move on let this mind be in you which was also in Christ who being in the form of God think about transfiguration how he was seen there for a short while transfigured into a glorious state wow that, that moved upon the, the handful of disciples that were there Peter James and John they wanted to do all kinds of religious things. They just didn't know what to do. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, 
who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery, thought it not something to be clung to or grasped after like robbers do, eagerly to be equal with God. There you go. Equal with God. John chapter 1. In the beginning he was with God. And he was God. Equal with God. The Lord Jesus Christ. But made himself... Now, this is pay attention to this. It, it, we're real familiar. First of all, he made himself of no reputation. He had the highest reputation you could possibly have. He made himself of zero reputation. Some translators say it means he emptied himself, and that he literally did. He poured himself out, completely emptied himself. So he made himself of no reputation. And he took upon him the form of a servant, equal with God, but he took the place of a servant, a bondservant, a slave. The lowliest place, made in the likeness of men. He was in the likeness of God. He took upon the weak likeness of man and a body of flesh and blood. You say, well, he really humbled himself. No, we haven't gotten there yet. Look at the text in verse 8. And being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Holy smokes. And became obedient. What gets in the way of your obedience? Not being willing to humble yourself. Let this mind be in you. It's a lot easier if you empty yourself. And identify yourself as a servant. It's interesting, that's what the writers in the New Testament over and over again as they introduced the letter, the opening of the letter, uh, they would say a servant of Jesus Christ. A servant of Jesus Christ. Try that out when you introduce yourself to someone. I think I mentioned this years ago in a, in a message. Have you ever thought to say, hi, I'm Josh Every. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Good to meet you. You like my children? Oh, nobody does that. That's sad. That's true. Nobody does. They did it in the first century. That's how they opened their letters. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing to be able to say. If we have our hats on, our thinking caps on, as they used to like to say in, uh, when, when I was little. That was a long time ago. Thinking caps. Mine was a dunce cap. <laughs> That's what mine looked like. If I, still, if I had to wear one now, it probably would look the same. Now I'll have to put it on because I completely lost my train of thought. But being made of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even, not just any old death, not death by injection, or firing squad, even, even the death of the cross. As if to underscore that there is no death that has ever been devised by a wicked man any more ignominious, any more wicked, any more tortuous than death by crucifixion. But he humbled himself, brothers and sisters. After he emptied himself, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, the place of a servant, and then humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
Wherefore, God has highly exalted him. We live in a, in a, in a give-it-to-me-quick age, don't we? Instant gratification. We want satisfaction now. We want pleasure now. We want success now. We want everything right now, up front, quick, give it to me. Fast food, fast everything. Degrees online, get it in three months. Or buy it. You don't have to do anything. There's plenty of them for sale. Instant gratification. Oh, you can, you don't have a job? You only make 100 bucks a week? You can have this Ferrari. You just pay for it for 50 years. You can have it right now. Drive it off the lot. Can't make the payment? That's all right. We'll come and repossess it, but you can have it now for a little while. It's a crazy world. But that's not the way God works. He saves the best for last. And that's what Paul was motivated. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why was he willing to endure the cross? Because he knew what lie ahead. Just like the Apostle Paul adopted the same mindset when he says to us in, in, the, in the second Corinthian letter, yeah, this light affliction is but for a moment. There's something far better waiting for me, and it's eternal, and it's way more glorious. And so over against what's waiting in eternity for me as a servant of Jesus Christ, whatever suffering I go through, whatever peril, whatever loss, whatever pain, it really doesn't matter. It's insignificant because the payoff is so big and so long. And that's what the emphasis is here. We read in Hebrews that the Lord Jesus in chapter 12, he endured the cross. He had to endure it. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. There was plenty of shame. There was the shame of all your sins upon his head. And all the guilt for your sins was in his heart. And the penalty for all of your sins and the sin of the whole world was laid upon him, nailed to his cross. He bore it in his own body on that tree. Oh, he had to endure something, didn't he? Something unfathomable, unimaginable. In a scope, in a pain, in a horror that none of us could even imagine. And the Father looking upon that. Wherefore God highly exalted him. Because he endured the cross, despising the shame. Why did he do that? For the joy that was set before him. The payoff. To look upon you and know that you've been set free from your sin. That you've been forgiven. You've been washed in his blood. And you're cleaner and whiter than snow. And that... He will stand with you and you will come in His righteousness because of what He did on that cross, because of that love that He has for you, that He was willing to be, uh, take that place of a servant and empty Himself for you, that the price could be paid. He did that for you and it was worth it for the joy of seeing you come into His presence as brothers, blood-bought, redeemed by his blood. It was worth it. Let this mind be in you. Go share that with creatures as undeserving as you are, as this preacher is. I didn't deserve that kind of love. I could never deserve that. And that was, that's what makes it so wonderful, is that we can't deserve it. We know we don't deserve it. John Newton put it as good as it can be put. He saved a wretch like me. I'll tell you, when you know what you are, and you put it beside what he did, you understand something about the depth and the breadth and the wonder of that love. And all he wants us to do is to go out and share that. But to share that, we have to have that mindset. That's the problem. And that's what he's addressing here. He loved this church, by the way. This was one of his, I believe, one of his, maybe his favorite church, Paul's. Oh, he had some great memories, and he says so in chapter 1. He opens up, and he talks about, I thank God for every remembrance of you. 
That's a big statement when it comes to a New Testament church. Now, let's be honest. I thank God for every remembrance. I think he liked that church. He's thinking about Lydia. What a wonderful memory. By the riverside, how God opened her heart when he was down there by the river preaching at that prayer meeting. God opened apparently one woman's heart. Ain't God good? He opened her heart. He did something in her so that she could hear. Otherwise, she'd have stayed lost. And then there was that Philippian jailer, chapter 16 of the book of Acts. That's where we are if you want to read up on it. You remember him. How he thrust Paul and Silas into that deepest, darkest, nastiest part of that prison. But God sent an earthquake. His world got turned upside down instantaneously. Sometimes that's what it takes, and God knows what it takes. All he had to do to Lydia is open her heart. Some are easier than others, but God's got a hammer. Your brother Pierce used to say, God's got a hammer for every head. And it took an earthquake for that jailer. But it wasn't very long that he was kneeling down in front of Paul and Silas and saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Oh, I thank God for every remembrance. I tell you, God was at work in that church. Those were the charter members of the church at Philippi. And he's writing to them now. So it, there was no question he loved them. He had a lot of affection for them. But he loved them to the point where he was willing to tell them what they needed to do. And that's what we must do. That's what love does. And I thank God for his love that tells us what it is that he wants us to do. He wants the mind of his son to be our mindset. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to make that your mindset? Because until you are, you cannot share vibrantly the love of Christ. You can't love like that without that mindset. Being willing to be a servant and give yourself your time, put aside your interests in large measure, and give yourself for the interests of undeserving others who God puts in our way. Let this mind be in you. Wow. So, in the third heading, he turns to us. He said, okay, you've got some work to do. And that's how he puts it, isn't it? Look at what he says. Verse 12 through 16. He turns to them and he says, okay, it's your turn. We've talked about it. We've talked about why you should do it, because you have enjoyed the love that Jesus Christ poured out upon you when he came. And he did that with the mindset that we read about from 5 to 10 or 5 to 8. So he gave us an example of his mind. And so in verse 12, he turns to us, to the church, and he says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, you might have to change that for us. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. What on earth is he talking about? He's talking about letting this mind be in you and going about doing as Christ did, being a servant of others. Not thinking about always your own things, but on the, the things of others. About emptying yourself and not worrying so much about that great reputation, but being concerned about sharing the love of Jesus Christ serving the needs of others.
Lord's been talking to me about this for some time now, and uh, well, I'm not going to talk too much about that, but he's still working. There's a lot of work to do. And that's why Paul said, work out. So much for easy believism. He said, listen here now, you've got some salvation to work on. I said, what do you mean? I thought, you know, it's just about faith. By faith, I'm a child of God. By faith in Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven. He said, yes, that's true, but work out your salvation. You've got some work to do. Why did he send the Holy Spirit when he went away? So that there would be a little bit of Christ all over the place. Your place. The little bit of Christ that's in you would be seen in those around you because you are, you have humbled yourself and you're not thinking like the whole rest of the world on your own things, but you're thinking about the things of other people. Their interests, their needs, their concerns, their hurts, their deprivations. Work out your own salvation. How come? With fear and trembling. How come? Well, I'll tell you when, you, when you think about what Christ did in verses 5 through 8, well, that's, that, that's, some, that's kind of a fearful consideration, isn't it? That's a radical change of life. That's a whole way of living. That's a different way of living. But he said, the reason you fear and tremble about working out your salvation is under the realization of what he says in verse 13, for it is God that is working in you. Did you understand that today, at any point today? Did you, did you have the thought, hmm, I better get on with it because God is inside of me and he, he's wanting to work through me. Oh, I never gave that a thought since I woke up this morning. I had my first cup of coffee. I have not given that one thought. How about you? Have you thought, God is inside of me? What's he doing in there? Well, he tells us, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do all the things that you want to do. Is that in your Bible? It must be the NIV. That's not what my Bible says. No, you approach this work with fear and trembling because it is God Himself which is inside of you, working in you. And what He's doing is to will and to do of His good pleasure. Oh my. And all this time I thought about he wanted me to do my thing. Huh. So here's another good verse to put on your mirror. Look at it every morning when you get up. It is God that worketh in me both to will and to do of His good pleasure. My mercy, that sounds like I must be bought with a price. That sounds like I'm not my own. I'm not sure I like that. Oh, true confessions. I'm no different than you are. There are plenty of times when I don't like that much. Work out your own salvation. I'm having enough trouble with mine. But if you're not trying, you're not having any trouble at all. You're not even thinking about it. You're not even concerned about it. That's one of the problems with Scripture and the Holy Spirit. Once He starts probing around in your head and your heart, He makes you plumb miserable until you capitulate. He's been doing that to me lately. So I thought I'd share a little more. 
Judy was plumb worried that I was fixing to take Bunny over to Africa or something. She's asked her several times. She said, what, what, Jim thinking about going to the mission field? I've got all the mission field I can handle at 70 years old right here, brothers and sisters. Don't worry about a thing. I don't feel any call to any other mission field. I've got more than I can handle right here. If I can do better right here where God called me, we're right here where God placed me, if I can let Him work out, work in me, His will and His pleasure, I'll be doing good. I'll be doing better. So he says, So do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. Because we're in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation. Amen? Amen. A crooked and a perverse nation. That's what we're in the middle of. And what God wants us to be is lights shining in this wretched, ever-increasing darkness. And in order to be lights, we've got to have His mind, not the mind of the dark world that we live in. It's a crooked and it's a perverse nation that we live in now. I'm so sad about that, but it is the truth. It is the truth that it's where we are. How important it is. Verse 16, holding forth the word of life. Holding forth the word of life. That's God's will. That's what he wants, us to be those lights. Holding forth the word of life. Not just in word, but in deed. Letting this mind be in us that was also in Christ. Fourth heading. You're amazed, aren't you? Actually get done with this message. I'm trying to practice for week after next, the revival of Brother Troy's. I know there's not going to want me to preach an hour and a half up there every night, so I'm trying to practice. So <laughs> you pray for me. I'm getting that's uh, lo looming larger as each day goes by. Pray for me that the Lord will provide the Holy Spirit in abundance and do wonderful things, eternal things, lasting things among us all up there in that place. May there truly be a spirit of revival up there. And so the, now he gets to some other examples in, that they know of. And he's pointing to others in their circle. But like I said, there's only three. There's only three. And how sad that is. And listen to what he says about himself in verse 17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and I rejoice with you all. Wow, that sounds like Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 12 who endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. What a mindset is that? He's basically confessing, isn't he? Listen, if you use me up, if you use me completely up, I'm happy to do it in your service. I'm working on that. I'm working on that. Seriously. That is a mindset. It's the mindset of Christ. He was completely used up, wasn't he? In the service of sinful humanity. For you and me, he used himself completely up. And he did that in very short order. Within three years, he used himself completely up. And hung on that cross. To die for you and for me. So Paul says, yea, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy. Verse 19, he talks about Timothy. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Now you see, it was a rare thing then. It's a rarer thing now to have somebody care about other believers in another church to the point of neglecting their own interests. He said, I'm going to send Timothy. 
I have nobody like Timothy. I can count on Timothy. Why is there only so few? Verse 21. Because all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. And that's the sad, that hadn't changed. Most Christians today, most of us, spend more time seeking our own things to the point where we don't have time. Really don't have time. There's only so many minutes in a day. So much energy, and we lose that as we get older, I've noticed a little bit. So we only have so much to give. And he said, well, I'm willing to do it, Paul said. Timothy is willing to do it, but I have nobody like him because everybody's too busy seeking their own, not the things of Christ. Sad commentary when we think about what Jesus has done for us and what is ours in him, what we enjoy every day because of what he did for us when he came to this earth. I wonder if you think about that. You're enjoying the peace and comfort, the tranquility of spirit, the sense that it is well with your soul, confidence that Jesus Christ will be with you every step of the way, that he meant it when he said, I will provide your needs if you will seek me first in the kingdom of God. And all of those promises, great and precious as they are, that give us such great comfort in a crazy, mixed up, dangerous world that we live in, that we have a God we can count on who's faithful. He loves us. He keeps on loving us and providing for us everything that we need. And we can rejoice whatever our state and should be able to. Paul said in the same letter, didn't he? He said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. How do you get to a place like that, Harrison? You get to a place like that believing and learning about Jesus Christ by experience. Tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. And that hope never makes us shame. Oh, He loves us so good and takes care of us so well. And we enjoy that every day of our experience as Christians. And He calls upon us to let go of our own consuming concerns. And serve Him by serving others. Oh my then he gets around finally to Epaphroditus, and we'll end with Epaphroditus. Verse 25, he says, Yet I suppose it is necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and my companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. He was kind of a jack of all trades, wasn't he? He was whatever the need was, he was there. He was on the spot. He was ready to go, ready to serve, ready to comfort, ready to encourage, ready to labor, ready to suffer. Verse 26, For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that you had heard that he had been sick. He'd rather you didn't know that he was sick. Verse 27, For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but God had mercy on me, Paul says. Because I depend on Epaphroditus so much. He's such a good servant, and he gives of himself so completely. And there's so few like him. God spared me much sorrow by sparing him. Verse 28, I I sent him, therefore, the more carefully, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. I'd say Paul was not above putting a guilt trip on the church. by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was letting him know. 
that because they had not come forward and cared enough for his needs, the apostles' needs, that Epaphroditus had to take up the slack. He was willing to take up the slack, but he nearly worked himself to death in doing it. Now, they had to receive that out of the love that Paul sent it because they knew Paul, and they knew that he loved them. But he didn't spare any words, did he? He let them know what God expected. And now he's let us know what God expects. Let's work out our own salvation, remembering that it is God that is working in us. What's he working in us for? The prosperity gospel philosophy? No, that's not it. To will and to do of His good pleasure. May it be so with us, brothers and sisters. Let us be willing to let this mind be in us. There's not a nobler mind in all.